0: Football on off the ball
1: with Sky, proud partner and supporter of the Republic of Ireland Women's National Football Team.
0: This is News Talk.
1: Now, then, you're welcome along. Football show. So things are progressing quite nicely for Shamrock Rovers. They are in North Macedonia against Skupi. It is nil all at half time. You would say the home side have had the better of it. They've had 58% possession. They've had nine shots to Rovers' three shots. That said, Shamrock Rovers do have a two-goal lead from the first leg. 3-1 up from the first leg. So things progressing very nicely. And a place in the Conference League is at stake here for Shamrock Rovers. So they're on the cusp and we'll keep you updated across the football show. We will be talking Aston Villa later on. Because it would seem Villa fans not thrilled with the job Stephen Gerrard is doing. Uh, 2-0 defeat to Bournemouth hasn't helped. The Tyrone Ming situation is uh, continuing. And obviously the end of last season wasn't so hot either. So uh, a real sense of pressure suddenly on uh, Stephen Gerrard. So we'll get the lowdown on all that later on. In the meantime, though, very happy to bring in always a brilliant guest, Tony Evans of the London Independent. Tony, great to have you on.
0: Hi Joe, how are you?
1: Yeah, very well. So you were at Craven Cottage for the half past twelve kickoff. Uh, Craven Cottage generally seems like a very pleasant, refined kind of a venue. Not not like going into the Lions Den at half twelve on a Saturday.
0: No, no, it's um, but you know, no one seems to have woken up and realised that there was a season on. At least in the Liverpool side of things, uh, the, the Liverpool section was very quiet. I was sitting in with the Fulham fans and um, and they were quite lively but Liverpool f- the crowds were flat the team were flat and it wasn't a great way to start the season entertaining game but certainly um, you know give give the title trophy to Manchester City now <laughs> no, no seriously there's a long way to go it was a poor start but there's much more to come from Liverpool
1: Tony, Jurgen Klopp was particularly withering in his assessment of the performance he's often pretty upbeat even after a, a, a not so great result what was it about the Liverpool performance which so irked Jürgen Klopp, you suspect?
0: Oh, well, they were absolutely dreadful. The midfields as a whole were awful. And you'd think that was close to his first choice midfields. Um, Fabinho was dreadful. Probably the worst game I've seen him have for a long time. Thiago had one of those games where nothing came off. Henderson worked hard, but toiled, going nowhere. And, you know, when you consider how well Liverpool have played the week before in the, charity, the community shields... Mm. Um, you know, the, the, the drop-off was amazing. Fulham plays well and also tactically, uh, you know, worked out a way of isolating um, Trent Alexander-Arnold and making sure the ball didn't get to uh, Mohamed Salah often enough. But really, it was the midfield, the rover run. And they were, you know, the Liverpool midfield is generally there to provide balance. And it's not the creative hub of the side. Mm-hmm. That's the wing-backs. We all know that. But really, they, normally what they do is stop the opposition playing and they let Fulham off the ball. Because Klopp said afterwards,
1: all the boys, as he uh, calls them, the boys wanted to play well and they didn't. We'll get to the bottom of it. We'll get to the bottom of why. I mean, it's, it's hard to think it's an S&C situation that like there's a fitness concern at this stage. You, you you wonder if, I don't know, is there is there a degree of complacency feels like a very harsh thing to throw at this group. But. More just the um, demands of the last number of years, whereby you think of how many huge games this group have played in and played brilliantly in. And suddenly they're at Fulham and they're better than Fulham, but damn it, Fulham of all this enthusiasm and energy that a newly promoted side does. And it's just hard to muster those reserves again
0: oh yeah i mean th- there is an element of that and you-, you look at Thiago. you know he's 31 now he's injury prone and you know it- it's it's going to be difficult seeing get seeing them get a full season out of him. you know uh henderson is into his 30s and there's a little bit of age creeping in the midfield And the youngsters, at least not yet, haven't stepped up to the plate in that area. But I also think it's, you know, we've got to allow this group of players who have been absolutely fantastic. You know, we're talking about five years when they've been relentless Klopp's mentality monsters. We've got to allow them a bad game or two every now and then. You know, our fan base, Liverpool fan base, is among the biggest bunch of bedwetters of any Premier League group of supporters. And, you know, and there's always hysteria. Well, you know what, it's early days and a draw of form mightn't be such a bad result come the end of the season. I think um I think it's this season of all seasons is gonna be a very peculiar one with the break for the World Cup and a lot of players coming back from Qatar but tired, I should imagine. The second half of the season is gonna be a lot of injuries, I would expect. Because the uh, the workload the players are given is relentless, yeah. so anything could happen. And the one thing I've, I've learned in my my fairly long football watching career is not to judge a game by a season by a game in August.
1: Mm. You can expect now to see bedwetters in the headline of this piece. I suspect uh, Tony just giving oh. you a fair warning now. Can they keep being as relentless as ever? Because it does feel in some respects like Liverpool have to go at breakneck speed and near their maximum to keep pace with the Manchester City juggernaut, which maybe more so has that ability to drop down to fifth or fourth gear and cruise through a game and win 2-3-0. Not that Liverpool don't do that as well, but it does feel like they have to be more on it to keep pace with the City juggernaut.
0: Well, yeah, definitely, because, you know, it's unprecedented. No club, even Chelsea at at the Abramovich peak, didn't have the financial power that City have. And, you know, City fans don't want to hear it, but this is a, you know, a nation-state product, really. You know, it's the flagship of Abu Dhabi. It's, you know, it's not just a football club with normal owners. And we've got to take that into account. But having said that, when you've got a team where, you know, the, the... you know he didn't play well on on Saturday, but, but Alexander Arnold is a fantastic player, one of the best in the league. You know, Salah, I expect Salah to have an outrageous year, even though Fulham doubled up on him an awful lot. You know, he still scored and he still looked dangerous. He's um, he wasn't at his best, he wasn't at his, anywhere near his peak, but he was still fantastic. And I expect him to come somewhere close to scoring 30 goals this season. You know, he hasn't got a world cup to you know, he'll have a six weeks of rest mm. so i uh, you know i'm expecting something special from him and you know you look at the defense is fairly solid um you know there's the, both wing backs are good players uh this we've got a platoon at center half you know led by obviously Virgil van Dijk and i think there's going to be some chopping and changing in the midfield but one you know Nunes up front is gonna be a, a a massive addition, you know. It's um the, the impact of him and Haaland is gonna be fantastic on the Premier League this season. So I I, I think yeah, you're right. They've got to they've gotta keep that level at a ridiculously high yeah. sort of uh consistency to challenge City. But it's tried and tested. You know, a couple of them showing signs of wear and tear, but then again, Milner come on at the age of thirty-six, and he was excellent. So you know, it's, yeah. um, the, the, there's still some tank in the gas left in the tank. Sorry, gas left in the tank with Klopp's Liverpool.
1: Yeah, he is a freaking nature Milner. We're not going to know until the season transpires, and we're one game in. So again, I would be loath to make any um, grand predictions. Ultimately. I do think Liverpool will will have a very good season again but the more you think about the, just the flatness of that performance it was such a heartbreaking season for them in many ways think how much they put into it on both fronts and then to end up with just the two lesser trophies and yeah the the um, parade through the city is a wonderful thing and they all you know it's 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 a almost like a 24 hour rejuvenation for the team but then the reality of getting back and having to go again and oh my god city have signed Haaland It's just going to be fascinating to see if they can somehow rev themselves up to go again. Some of the older players in particular, and again, we're not going to know until it all transpires. You you suspect they'll be okay, and they somehow will dig deep and go again. But there's just a, a slightly nagging concern I think people have.
0: Yeah, I'd be stunned if, you know, they, um, they get very flat and certainly uh, I'd be shocked if they weren't challenging for the title. I think they will be. I mean, you know, Klopp is a great motivator. He's brilliant with uh, dealing with people. You know, a lot of the managers, the one thing players always say about managers, you know, uh, they can work in the first year, you know, they, they can inspire players in the first year. But you can't, you've heard it all before you know you, you, you in the second year you stop listening to him and the third year is deadly for them but Klopp's got that knack of mm. you know it doesn't get old he he's always got the ability to lift the team and i think you know i think he's rejuvenated he was rejuvenated last season and he's as, as eager to go as as he can be you know covid hit him hard, you know, he lost his mother, he hated the empty stadiums, you know, and uh, I didn't think he'd be Liverpool manager, you know, sort of 18 months ago. I, I I thought he'd, you know, walk away from it. But he's back, he's full of energy, he's bouncing, and when he's got energy, the team has energy. Yeah, it was a, a poor performance on, at Craven Cottage, but, but they'll be back, I think... Uh, at Anfield, Anfield will be fired up. It's very different. Eight o'clock on Monday, you know, next time they play, the place will be buzzing. You know, it's um, you know, my, my view is the best thing you could do for atmosphere is always give everyone in the crowd, who's of age, of course, three pints, and that makes it lively. You know, it's a uh, you didn't get that form, you will get that at Anfield, and I think we'll see the way this team has always fed off the crowd mm. and lifted the crowd. You know, it was like a, a closed circuit of excitement there. I think we'll see that start to kick in again. And yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, it's, over the years, people have said I'm an extremely pessimistic Liverpool fan. But you know what? I think it's hard to be pessimistic about this lot, given their achievements, given who the manager is. And I think it's going to be a good season, no matter what happens.
1: Yeah, I dare say you're right. They've earned the benefit of the doubt. Just looking at the midfield option, because Klopp, as um, you know, with a slight hint of annoyance, I've been talking about the midfield situation given the injury uh, crisis at the moment. And he said after the Thiago injury, I know what's going to come up now. It's clear. We said we don't need a midfielder because we have enough and we actually have enough. But the problem now is we get punished for something that's not our responsibility because things like this can happen. And I, I, I take the point about it's not our responsibility. At the same time, you probably have to bake in injuries when you're uh, formulating a squad for the season. So of their midfield options, they have nine players who can take those three midfield positions. And there's just this sense that there's not enough maybe players in their prime years. So three of them are 21 or younger. And then you've got Thiago, Henderson, and Milner into their 30s. So really you're left with Fabinho, Oxlade-Chamberlain and Kjaer who are really in their their prime years. And as you said, it's maybe not the most creative engine room. Thiago will have the odd flourish and Henderson might nick the odd goal, but it's it's predominantly the wing backs who are providing that creative outlet. Uh, would you have a sense that another signing there could make a big impact? And, and why the reluctance, do you think, on Klopp's part?
0: Well, I think the plan of what we said was to refresh the midfield next season, um, so next summer 2023. And they don't really want to be pushed by an injury crisis into buying someone who they're not completely and utterly taken with. Mm. Um, I think if the right person became available, they'd certainly go into the market. And I would not be shocked. I mean, there's been uh, a a lot of talk about Nunes from Sport and Lisbon, but uh, no one credible has mentioned him to me as a possibility. Um, So, you know, they, they like Bellingham. Everyone likes Bellingham. But he, he was, uh, the, the idea was for to go looking for him next year. But I, I think I think the, the problem is that Oxlade-Chamberlain really is not going to factor in. He's, um, I think, between injuries and he's never recovered his form. I think Keita is the one that the pressure's on. He needs to step up. You know, he's been at Anfield a long time now. He's never lived up to uh, his expectations. Although they still like him, they still think he's got enough talent um, you know hes I don't think he's wholly trusted by Klopp which is a problem you know and the, Fabinho we know he does his stuff he just did a badly at Craven Cottage you know it's, um, but most of the time he, he'll be good enough I think its it, it needs the likes of Curtis Jones to step up early yeah. and prove himself this year You know, now's his time he should give his opportunities hopefully he won't be too badly uh, injury prone this season and but I, I I always think the least important part of Klopp's Liverpool teams has been the midfield three. Least important part creatively. Mm. Um, the most important part in giving a balance, closing down people. This is a midfield. And, you know, for ages I, I had a problem. Every time I saw Klopp, I'd say, what's your best midfield? What are you doing with your midfield? I don't understand it. And then the penny dropped. I was thinking of a traditional midfield where they get up, on the edge of the opposition's box, shoots, you know, all get between five and eight goals a season, ideally. Mm. Liverpool's midfield under club hasn't been like that. It's been, you know, uh, Henderson slot in, fill the space when, when Trent goes forwards. You know, it's it's like, cover them, press the opposition, put them in a position, the opposition, ball carriers, uh, in in a situation where the Liverpool forwards can press them as well. And, it, it's kind of, creativity is almost the least of what was expected of the midfield so uh mm. obviously it changed a little bit when tiago come in but i would expect to see the same sort of thing the least important department is the midfield mm. what shape do
1: you think the front three will take over the season tony
0: i think we're going to see a lot of newness in there I, you know i think um you know he's he's absolutely fantastic, and uh, I, I love the fact that he gives them some physicality, which they lacked a little bit. You know, um he gives them everything. Origi gives them uh, as well with a added speed, uh, clinical in front of goal, and a good touch. You know, it's God love Origi, he, he was great, and he did some wonderful things. But sometimes he had the look of a blunt instrument. I think Nunez has got that sharpness about him. And so I think we're going to see, you know, obviously Im, Salah and, and Diaz and Giotta will be the, the other two in that. I think we'll see lesser Firmino as the season goes by.
1: Yeah, I've uh, read in a few pieces, uh, it seems, uh, Firmino's forum where well, you could put it at patchy or inconsistent at best. What's your reading? What's going on there?
0: Yeah, he's, um he, well, you know, he's never, well, I was going to say he's really one of those players who stands out as a goal scorer. You know, he does a lot of the donkey work. He he did a lot of the pressing and he links the play and the movement, creates space by moving out. But uh, his his pressing was certainly on Saturday and towards the end of last season was less effective than the ever seen before. Um, His you know his goal scoring you know he's never going he subverted his own game for the team. Mm. But I think the team is. Coming past that, and I think when you've got you know the the big physicality of Nunes in there, I think that will make a huge difference. And uh, I think so. I think he'll become uh, more of a, a substitute, um, a squad player, one who's slot in and out when there's injuries, rather than part of that. You know, for so long it was that front three, wasn't it? You know, where uh, mm. Salah, Firmino, and Mane. I, you know, I, I think it's going to be less like that. Mm. I think it's going to be Salah. Uh, then Nunes, and then one
1: other. Uh, the next question is a real whisper it quietly because it could look very foolish down the line uh, type. We had Pat Evan on last night. He's with us generally every Monday to review the weekend's football and he's just uh, still not so sure Van Dyke has ever returned to the player he was pre-injury. You're often at the stadiums a lot. Sometimes you get a better feel for things when you're seeing um, players in the flesh. What's your sense of Van Dyke?
0: Yeah, I think Pat's very right. Uh, you know, on that, I don't think he, has, he is the same dominating presence he was before the injury. But he's not that far off. Yeah. You know, he's. Um, you, you look at him and you say, well, he's not the the colossus he was. But he's still pretty damn big, you know, and he's still he's still very very good. I mean, he had a, a you know a, a very tasty physical battle with Mitrovic on Saturday, which was great to see. You know, um, love a bit of physicality in those things. Um, and he he shaded it really until he got tricked by Mitrovic to you know in the area and give away the penalty. So I mean, I, I think it, you know he's um, he's brilliant as well. At, Talking to the people around him, on the defence, you know, creating a bit of order when things get chaotic, and that's a thing that you know, that that's you know that that you don't lose that part of your game when you come back from injury. Yes, he mightn't be as physically imposing as he was and as quick as he was, but as I say, it, it's he's still the best. The best centre earth in the league, mm. without a doubt. And um, and while I, you know, I agree with Pat on most things, and you know, and I agree with him on this. He isn't exactly the same player as he was before, but the drop off is not so pronounced as worrying too much.
1: Yeah, when you're starting from that high level, you can probably afford a slight drop. Alexander Arnold, uh, the subject of much criticism for the Mitrovic goal. I was listening to Tony Cascarino make the point that and he scored his fair share of Mitrovic S goals from that back post position. He was saying what you want a defender to do there is just to back into you. Stand tall and back into you and it puts you off getting your head in the ball in the way you'd like. And no. as we've seen Alexander kind of Alexander Arnold cower is a touch, you know, and it just it's a bad luck for a player whose defensive capabilities have been much questioned. The last competitive game we really saw was the Real Madrid game and again it was it was a bad night for him <laughs> he's such a, a interesting player Alexander Arnold in that he's so gifted and so brilliant and Klopp clearly uh, figures that over the course of 60 games the good so far outweighs the bad that it's a no-brainer to have him in the team and yet Garrett Southgate figures tournament football akin to a Champions League final one-off games I just can't trust him. At 23, is he showing signs of improving defensively? Like those those Mitrovic moments, he needs to tidy them up sooner rather than.
0: Yeah, I, I mean it was it was quite funny because you know sort of being there and as I say in amongst the uh, the Fulham fans, like, my first reaction was whoa, Mitrovic is just made trends as bitch, you know, and like he just blew through him. You know, it's one of them. But then again, I, I'd suspect if Mitrovic can get. Any fullback in the league, isolated on that back post, he's going to do the same. And you're right; it's a risk-reward uh, situation with uh, Alexander Arnold. You know, it's you, you know that they're going to be able to get in the ball behind him, and that's where you'd expect Matip, who's quick, and um, and of course you've got you know um, Virgil Van Dijk. You'd expect them to to give him some cover, and that's where. You know, more than anything, people criticise Henderson um, really heavily. He's one of the whipping boys of the the Liverpool fans, and he has been for a long while. But one of the things that Henderson has done so well over the years is get into that area behind him and give him some protection. And, you know, talking about the Champions League final, I was really impressed by Ancelotti's tactics. You know, Ancelotti, and I've written it a million times, I say, oh, he's not a tactician, you know, one of them. He's a finisher. He gets good players and puts them in the position. But actually, what he did is he overloaded the um, the Liverpool right. And he didn't want the ball coming to Trent Alexander-Arnold or to Mohamed Salah. He let he let Liverpool have the ball on the left. He let Andy Robertson have it. He let Diaz have it. He had his worst scheme in the Liverpool shirt. Um, and, you know, and it was brilliant. He stopped. Liverpool's most dangerous people. So when you've got managers like that accounting for you and worrying about you, it shows what tremendous talent you have. And he is a tremendous talent. Mm. You know, it's um, one of the reasons Southgate probably won't win the World Cup is because of his timidity in situations like that. You know, Southgate has got tons of speed available and pace, speed available to him. And he sometimes, when the teams he picks, manages to neutralise that. And thankfully, I'm not an England fan, so I'm not upset by it. <laughs> um, you know, but fair enough. It's one. Of, it's one of those things where I think when you've got, I, I hate this modern words we keep hearing, generational. It's you know, what a loads of old tush. But Alexander Eld yeah. is one of those players who's special. Yeah. Who out of out of uh, you know sort of players as, uh, as contemporaries. He is—he stands out, and he can offer so much. And yet, in that risk-reward, I'd always have him in the team. And occasionally, he's going to get bullied by a, a brute like Mitrovic, and it's going to look really bad. Yeah. You know what? Before we know it, we'll be raving about his crosses and his passing and his goals, and everyone will forget this.
1: I think that's very fair. He won't be the last player that Mitrovic dominates either in the air, you suspect. I should let people know Rory Gaffney has scored for Shamrock Rovers. They are now 4-1 up on aggregate in North Macedonia, which means they will be into a Europa League playoff uh, you would think and uh, certainly guaranteed at least conference league football. So uh, European group stages coming to Shamrock Rovers one way or another, it would appear. They're 4-1 up on aggregate. Uh, we're talking with Tony Evans of the London Independent. Uh, just a thought, because uh, you've been covering English football for a very, very long time. So you're the perfect person really to uh, put this to. This is the 30th anniversary of the Premier League. It is uh, staggering the extent to which it's been Uh, financially, and in so many other ways, just a runaway success story. It is now probably the de facto, Tony, Super League of any league in the world. It's home to all the best managers. It's home to the best players. Uh, There was a time where the best would go to Spain and Barcelona and Madrid, and now we're seeing the likes of Haaland come to England. Um, It's just become the most gargantuan uh, league in the world by some distance. I heard somebody uh, made the point, I think it was Miguel Delaney, that even the Italian league in its pomp in the 80s wasn't as dominant over the others as the Premier League is uh, currently. So this is where we are in year 30.
0: Yeah, yeah. And that's amazing because, you know, I remember before football before and yeah. when, you could, when you could get up in the morning and decide to go get on a game, you could actually buy a train ticket at the station, it was reasonable, go to the ground and pay in at the gate oh my God, now he need a letter from the Pope to go into the stadium or you know, a Premier League stadium, it's ridiculous. Mm. Um, it's it's brought so much good. You know, It's um, and most people actually watch tele- football now through the television, whereas before the Premier League, most people watched it, you know, were watching football, went live. And so it's brought the game to a lot of people and the stadiums are safer. We, um, you know, the standard of football superb. And so, you can't really argue with, with it. I think the developments in the past decade, in well, maybe, say, 20 years, that were kicked off by Abramovich at Chelsea and taken further by Mansoor at Chelsea, have, have been... I think in the long term, we'll look back and we'll say that's been a negative thing for the game and for competition. And the concentration of talent in, in fewer and fewer teams... Is actually disturbing because it's anti-competitive, mm-hmm. and uh, so I mean, I you know I hate the idea that you know there's you know the, the, the big clubs have always won. Mm-hmm. You know it's um, you know it, it, it's it's natural. The clubs with the most money have always won, but the, the way it is, fewer and fewer teams get the opportunity to compete for the Premier League. That's why I'm kind of open in a in, in a year like this where you know unprecedented a World Cup and a long break. And a lot of Manchester City players and Liverpool players will be going to the World Cup. You know, I'd love to see someone come from nowhere and win it. You know, it's um, I'd love to see someone do a Leicester, although Leicester have plenty of money pumped into them. And perhaps the fairy tale element of Leicester has been oversold to us all, you know, over the years. Mm. I'd love to see someone come from nowhere. Um, I, it, you know, it's probably won't. But, you know, the, as I say, the, you, you get to a situation where, the same teams are winning it, and the fact that if it wasn't for Liverpool, City would be winning it five times in a row. Mm. You know, they could be winning it three times in a row, which United did, and obviously United were dominant. But um, but there is when you look at the squads that City are building and the infrastructure they've put in, I think there's less and less likelihood that people will challenge them going forward, and they take to see the Premier League become a one horse race on a you Know a more or less annual basis, so so there's been much good, and you know, we see the best players in the world. And, um, you know, I can't help thinking I saw the best of it, but you know, football, in in the sense of uh, you know, on, on the other hand, I also saw some of the worst of it. So, mm. I, I think, I think, yes, it's been great. Uh, let's hope it is great, but I suspect we'll have to have tighter regulation and we'll have to have some changes in the way we approach the game mm. if we're ever going to have the premier league that we deserve which is a competitive exciting one rather than uh, you know something of a procession behind manchester city
1: yeah yeah i think this this particular period maybe looked back on as the wild west the financial chicanery and uh, maybe they can get on top of that over the coming decades but uh, tony thank you for the time being much appreciated Always a pleasure. Cheers. Tony Evans with us there, football writer. And our football coverage on Off the Ball is brought to you by Sky. You can watch over 400 games this season from the Premier League, WSL, Scottish Premiership and EFL, Live in Sky Sports. Again, the news from Macedonia is that Shamrock Rovers have scored. They are 1-0 up in the night. They are 4-1 up on aggregate. So they will be into a Europa League playoff and should they uh, fail to progress there they will have conference football guaranteed so european football uh, you would think at this stage uh, almost certainly coming to tala football
0: on off the ball
1: with sky proud partner and supporter of the republic of ireland women's national football team
0: this is news talk
1: You're welcome, Max. So 74 minutes gone in North Macedonia. It is still Shamrock Rovers 1-0 up on the night against Shkupi. And so that means 4-1 on aggregate and Rovers through to the next round, which gives them a chance of making Europa League stages and certainly guarantees Conference League stages. So European football is coming to Tala unless there's a major turnaround there in the last 15 minutes. Meanwhile, at Aston Villa, there are clouds gathering after a 2-0 defeat to Bournemouth on the opening day of the season. Dan Bardell is uh, an Aston Villa broadcaster and uh, is with us on the line now. Dan, hello. Hello, you OK? Better than you guys. God, it's all very miserable. Yeah. We our, our producer Mick was in last night and he was just... Uh, he practically went viral. He's almost slightly uh, worried and, and, and uh, shaken by how many views his clip uh, garnered. But he was just outlining why he's so bloody frustrated with Aston Villa and Stephen Gerrard. I think to the... Uh, more casual Aston Villa observers, the uh, sense of unhappiness with Jared uh, kind of crept up on us a touch more. But the 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 manner of the two 0 defeat to Bournemouth seems to really have concentrated uh, certain unhappiness on Jared.
2: Yes, yeah, it's, it's the worst possible start. Is to have such a, a drab performance on on the first day because you spend all summer looking forward to the football coming back. And then within two minutes, you face a corner. You can see it off the first set of that you faced all season and then don't really do anything throughout the rest of the game. And we ended the season pretty poorly in, in, in terms of just there was nothing going on. And we, Gerard's harped on quite a lot about, I need a pre-season. I need to get a few of my own players in. Things will be better after a pre-season. And I do think, you know, in time that they probably will be better. Everyone can have an off day. But I can't tell you how bad that first day of performance away at Bournemouth was. I mean, I'm pretty confident Bournemouth will be floating around the bottom three all season. And, and, and they beat us comfortably. We, we didn't really put up a fight at all. We, we looked weak. We looked feeble. Two set-piece goals. It was just a terrible day at the office for, for Aston Villa. And you have all that excitement. And to start the season off like, like that, Villa fans have had a, probably a decade now of pretty dire stuff going on there's been a lot of underachievement we had a brief spell in the championship where we went on a 10 game winning run and got promoted and things felt good but really the last decade it's been pretty poor and I think it's starting to frustrate a few fans now
1: Yeah and Dan what players did Jared manage to bring in over the summer? So
2: I was thinking that Villa had addressed the two key areas that, that they needed to address in that they got A defensive midfielder in, a very good one at that, someone who Champions League clubs would have been looking at in Boubacar Kamara. He's been in the France team. He's played for France in the summer. Looks an accomplished player. You know, he's walked into, he's played that first game for Villa and he must be wondering what's going on. They've also needed a bit of nastiness over the years. I think Villa have been too nice over the last decade. Diego Carlos at centre back, a big guy a presence that felt like something that was needed so that they'd address two key areas got some squad fillers in as well Signed Catenio on, on a permanent transfer mm-hmm. but then on, on saturday there's just no patterns of play at all you can't work out what they've been doing all summer and at the moment i think a lot of villa fans they can't really work out what aston villa are, are trying to be you've then got the, the the team selection issues at the weekend as well and gerard Going a little bit over the top on Tyrone Mings, in my opinion. And it's, the noises coming out of Villa at the moment aren't good. And to have that after day one of the season isn't great.
1: The sense, uh, based on highlights of the Bournemouth game, is that Aston Villa seemed to cross the ball from deep quite a lot. And yeah. I think there were 30 plus crosses across the course of the game. About five, six of them found a, a Villa head and they weren't in very threatening positions. So this seemed to be the sum total of the Villa attacking plan, which again is surprising when you've got the likes of Coutinho out there.
2: I mean, it doesn't take a genius to tell you that Danny Ying's up against three six-foot-plus monsters, plus they've got a defensive midfielder in Billy, who's pretty sizable as well. It doesn't take a genius to tell you that swinging the ball into the box isn't really going to work. And then you've got Coutinho and Leon Bailey playing off him as well. It just seemed that we got we got out wide and panicked. It, that there was no semblance of a game plan whatsoever. I don't know whether the early goal rocked us completely. We have plenty of the ball, 66 possession mm. but we were just going absolutely nowhere with it passing the ball along the back no tempo whatsoever and you've got to earn the right to, to be in games and villa didn't earn the right to be in that bournemouth game at all and to be honest they beat us pretty comfortably i mean keifer moore who i don't want to be disrespectful but a journeyman championship striker who's never played in the premier league before I was watching him run Villa players on the floor, Never mind beating them in the air. I mean, the goal, probably his goal probably epitomized the day and that there's three players just standing there and watching him. And he's got a free header and he put plants it into the back of the net. So I couldn't offer you one positive from that game on Saturday. I'd, I literally sat there bemused by what I was seeing but it is only the first day I suppose it is any team can have an off day hopefully it is an off day but it, it did feel very reminiscent of the end of last season to be perfectly honest Yeah
1: I suppose it, 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 the end of last season feeds into this and particularly when Jared did make a point for a lot of the season saying I need a pre-season with the group and so there was a degree of okay we'll forgive you the end of last season you've had your pre-season now here we go against Bournemouth and then this is what they produced at the weekend just remind us so give us the Jared arc at Aston Villa again was there ever a sweet spot was there a period where he seemed to really have things moving in the right direction because certainly when he first arrived he tried to get them tougher and uh, you know you talked about a bit of dog and a bit of fight uh, that seemed to be one of the early things he talked about quite a bit uh, like give us a, a, a sense of has it always been fairly underwhelming or was there a period where people thought well this is really good it's working
2: So when Gerard came in, we'd just lost five games in a row under Dean Smith. Dean Smith was universally loved by the Villa fans, obviously a Villa fan. He did so much for the club, he got us back into the Premier League. But probably, you look at it, we'd lost five in a row. We'd had a bad 12 months. His record over that 12 months probably pointed to the fact that we needed a change. So, So Gerard came in, and I've got to be honest, across those first five, six games, I was really impressed with what I saw. I, I could see a plan. I could see what Villa were trying to do with the defensive structure. I could see what they were going what they were trying to do going forwards, that the passing was sharp, it was concise. And I thought, right, okay, this is good. Gerard himself obviously comes in with a bit of presence. You know, he's a he's a born leader, a born winner, and the players really seemed to respond to him. We played, I think it was this we beat Brighton in his first game 2-0 at home after that five-game losing streak. And then the next game we were away at crystal palace you know a difficult place to go in the premier league and we absolutely outplayed them i was at that game and from where i was sat on the halfway line, we played some absolutely wonderful stuff and i came away from that game thinking right i think we we could be onto something there mm. we played against manchester city and liverpool the two best teams on the planet Ran them very close, lost both games by one goal. But the Manchester City at Villa Park game in particular, we were very, very unlucky not to take a point from that game. We dominated them in the second half. So even when we were losing games, it was narrow. And to be fair to Gerard, whenever we have lost, usually it's, it's by one goal. Obviously, Saturday, that, that, that wasn't the case. But I liked what I was seeing. He brought in Coutinho, he brought in Luca Dean. Yeah. But Villa just couldn't draw games last season. They'd either win or they'd lose. So they'd win a couple of games. Then they quite easily after that go on a three, four, five losing streak, and and that was the pattern of the season. We, we'd win a couple maybe, but then we'd lose four or five in a row. The season ended. We finished 14th. I've got to be honest. I think it would have been very easy to finish in the top ten in the Premier League last season. It, it wasn't a high quality of league in, t- in terms of points. I think Villa finished 11th the, the year before with the points total that would have got them eighth or ninth last season. So it wasn't it wasn't a high standard Premier League, but. Something's gone awry and, and and I don't know what it is. Some of the stuff Gerard says after games and, and in his press conferences is sometimes a bit not, not kind of shouldering responsibility for himself. He, he digs out the players a little bit too much for my liking. Now I'm not for one second sat here saying I want Stephen Gerard out. I do think you've got to give him time. And I think Villa have invested an awful lot awful lot in him despite a relatively low net net spend this summer. You know, Villa have gone all in on Gerard, and you do have to give him time. But some of the stuff that's going on at the moment is just bizarre. The Tyrone Ming stuff—I cannot understand that for the life of me. What Gerard's doing there makes absolutely no sense. Now, it's one thing stripping him of the captaincy. That's that's Gerard's prerogative. That's his decision. You know, he knows what goes on day to day. If he wants to change the captain, that's fine. He's changed it to John McGinn. It looked like from social media, Tyrone Ming's had accepted that decision. That's fine. Now, personally, I like John McGinn. I've got a lot of time for him. I don't think he's more of a captain than Tyro Mings. In fact, I don't see another captain really at at the football club other than Tyro Mings and potentially Ashley Young, who's who's a leader, but isn't really going to play every week. So he was never going to be named as an on-the-pitch captain. I find the decision to strip Mings of the armband a little bit strange. But then on top of that as well, to take him out the team and then be speaking so much about him as well. You're talking about taking the captaincy off him to relieve a bit of pressure and take him out the firing line. But you're spending too much time talking about it and and talking about him and you know Toll Remings has been stripped to the captaincy. One of the reasons that's been cited is is his form since Gerard's been there. He's not alone. There's no Villa player since Gerard's been in that has been consistent, probably the exception of, of of Matty Cash and Jacob Ramsey, who's who's an upcoming player who did play throughout to himself towards the end of the season. So again, nothing, not a knock on John McGinn at all. But you're giving the captaincy to someone who's pretty inconsistent himself, who I don't think is as much of a leader as Tyrone Mings. Now, maybe John McGinn over time will become that leader. Maybe giving him the captaincy will bring something extra out of him. But at the moment, I can't understand a lot of the stuff I'm hearing. And it it does feel like we're trying to alienate a big character in the team and someone who's done an awful lot for the football club in Tyrone Mings. And it just doesn't sit right with me at all what's going on at the
1: moment. What Jared said about Mings was I'm confident and have full belief that when Tyrone... He's back at his best and looks me in the eye and shows me he's ready to play, he'll get opportunities. Even that line about looking him in the eye suggested some kind of attitude problem on Mings's part. Whether that's what Jared wanted to suggest or not, that's how yeah. a lot of people interpret
2: it. That I mean, attitude problems, the last thing I would associate Tyrone Mings with was watching Villa on Saturday. Dan, he can't even look Jared in the eye. I just find it a, a bizarre a bizarre comment even if that's that's the what case, I mean it, it's
1: odd it's an odd thing to say
2: why would why would you say that in the yeah. public domain it, it, it doesn't make sense I don't know whether it was quite reactionary after what was an awful day at the office for Aston Villa, Ger- Gerard in his press conference maybe maybe you know he, he in hindsight he wouldn't have said it but but he has said it mm. like, Villa have got bigger problems than, than Toro Mings. Tor, Toro Mings isn't a problem to Aston Villa, in my opinion. There'll, there'll be fans that will tell you that he's he's no good, he shouldn't be in the team, he's inconsistent, he makes mistakes. And and I don't for one second sit here and profess that his form's been brilliant. He does make mistakes, but the advantages of Toro Mings being in the team compared to the disadvantages of him being out it's, it's a no-brainer for me that, that he plays. I, I still think Ty Mings is Villa's best centre-back. He's a presence. When he's not on the pitch for Villa, you completely know it's a different side. No one talks. No no one looked annoyed by what was unfolding on the pitch on Saturday. There was no leadership out there. Ty, Ty Mings is a leader. He's a lot of things as well, but he also takes responsibility and it felt an awful lot like no one wanted to take responsibility on Saturday, which was compounded by that goal that I mentioned, by three players standing there watching Kiefer Moore. What is a good finishing position for Aston Villa this season?
1: When you, when you top, look when you look at the squad, half. top half, yeah.
2: Top half was what I thought. I, I thought we'd aim for eight, maybe not get it, but you know, that squad, I look at it and I think it should be capable of finishing in the top 10 and having a few cup runs. You know, the Villa fan base are absolutely desperate to win a cup. We haven't won a cup since 1996. That's far too long, you know. Smaller clubs than Villa have won trophies since then, mentioning no names. Villa should should have won a trophy since 1996. We've had a few near misses and bad things go against us in finals, but for Villa not to have won a trophy since 1996 is appalling. Mm. I think, you know, you know Villa fans would kill for a trophy. And in a lot of respects, you know, I think Gerard's the kind of manager that would take the cup seriously. He he will want to win cups and I, and I like that about him. And I think Villa will probably go well in one of the cups this season. But after saying that, I thought we were well set and well placed for a top 10 finish watching us on Saturday I mean the weekend against Everton may be very very different I mean it has to be very very different because we can't play that badly again surely but I was watching it and thinking god maybe we, we shouldn't be finished in the, tra- <laughs> in, the, in, the, in the transfer market maybe we maybe we do need a number eight but you've just made one of your number eights captain which implies he's probably going to play the majority of the games yeah. the balance of the team for me was completely wrong on Saturday Danny Ings I don't think he was he's a great striker he's always worked there in a, in a two. When Danny Ings is playing, I would expect him to be lining up next to Ollie Watkins and Villa play two up front with either Coutinho or Bendy behind. Yeah. For some reason, Danny Ings has played up front. That didn't work. Douglas Luiz should probably be in one of the number eight positions because if you've got Coutinho in the front three, you want to get the ball to him quickly. That's not McGinn and Ramsey's game. I think it's it's more Douglas Luiz's game. And Watkins up top would stretch teams and create more more space, perhaps, for Coutinho. So Again, people are talking about Coutinho as a problem. You know, He's a world-class footballer. And he wasn't alone in having a having a completely non-existent game mm. on Saturday. But you've got to get him the ball with some kind of speed and some kind of plan, and that and that just didn't happen. So, after thinking all summer, we're in a good place there. I don't think we need anyone else. I now think, please, 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 can we get another number eight? In?
1: And just a final thought on uh, the Jared situation. He's only been there since November. Like, I'm amazed hmm. at the negativity in some respects. Uh, how many, uh, like, uh, like, uh, in terms of. Him losing a match or two or three, how far away is he from booze at Villa Park? And like Jared has X number of matches to save his job. Surely we're, like, I presume we're a long way away from that, or is is there kind of an atmosphere at Villa Park that they're
2: ready to go at this guy? I can tell you we're probably about 10 minutes away from the booze at Villa Park on, on Saturday. Villa would to fall behind. I know from previous experience of being a villa that it could turn toxic quite quickly. I don't think he's in danger of losing his job at the moment. Nor should he be. Actually, yeah. if you look at his record since he's been at the club, if the season had started when Gerard came in, I think Villa would be ninth, which is probably about where, you know, the high end of where I would expect us to finish. So, he does, he does deserve a bit of time. I think what's not sitting right with the Villa fans at the moment is that they can forgive defeats, but Saturday was appalling. But again, as I said earlier, that can happen. It's all this other stuff that's going on with the snarky comments and stuff like that. I think that's that's the stuff that's getting to the fan base. And you couple that with a bad end to last season and a bad start to this season, patience already feels quite thin. But I'm just hoping that there's a reaction on Saturday because we always... Like, all the soundbites coming out of Villarreal all the time. Are, you know, his footballers in general, they post on social media, not the result we wanted today. We're ready to go again and have a real go next week. They need to do something better on Saturday because that kind of performance won't be accepted again and it does have the potential to turn toxic quite early. But Gerard shouldn't be in danger. Yeah, He shouldn't be in danger at all. I don't think he will be, especially with his relationship with, with Persler. But, you know, once you start falling out with players, the fans start to turn. It is a rocky road. Yeah. Do you
1: not just have delusions of grandeur? Cranky, um, cranky bunch. I
2: don't, I don't think we, we, we're we <laughs> deluded, but there has that, you know, sometimes there does need to be some some, some realism. But I do think, I think the owners themselves, yeah. I think they'll be expecting more. They've pumped an awful lot of money into the football club. You know, they've been our been our saviours, really. Villa were couldn't even pay the tax bill when they came in, languishing in the championship. You know, the owners have really done everything that that they can. I think they'd expect better than 14th last season I think the Villa fans have got expectations because the way the club have talked themselves as well they're talking about being this top 8 team and trying to push towards the top 6 and right. if you're doing that if you're saying things like that you have to back it up on the pitch and they didn't do that on Saturday and they didn't do that at the end of last season Well that's fair enough that is a fair enough
1: point uh, Interesting times then Dan we might keep in touch and see how it all goes over the next uh, couple of weeks and uh, we'll see what happens if they go behind early against Everton Thanks so much for the time being No problem. Cheers, appreciate it. Dan Bardell with us there, uh, broadcaster and uh, very much focused on Aston Villa. Uh, Great news for Shamrock Rovers, they've gone 2-0 up in North Macedonia. Edomo Emaku has put Rovers 2-0 up, so you would think that is them home and hosed and through to a chance to make the Europa League group stages and will certainly have conference uh, football. So um, that's an amazing result, 2-0 away from home, 5-1 in aggregate.